0: And the mission falls to each of us, each and every day. Democracy itself is in peril. Here at home and around the world, what we do now, how we honor the memory of the fallen, will determine whether or not democracy will long endure.
1: Excellent point, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. Something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared kids I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York's WRFZ down in New Orleans on WHIV out in Gallup, New Mexico where they are voting today on KNIZ Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, uh, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow, says me from BradBlog.com. And yes, we're back. Yay. (laughs) Uh, We're back, actually, sort of, for now, anyway, as long as the construction crews outside the uh, window of our studio here behave in our favor. The uh, majority of the jackhammers, Desi Doyen, I'm told uh, they are over. Yay. They tell me anyway that there may be occasional construction noise throughout the day over the next week, but we are taking extra measures where we can to try and avoid it, including as necessary, sort of doing our show in pieces where possible, if possible, if needed, uh, you know, during their lunch breaks over the next week and and so forth. So wish us luck. We need it. So (laughs) if our shows are less coherent than usual, That would be why. Let's go ahead and blame that.
2: Yes, I think that's an excellent idea.
1: Or, by the way, if we do have to fall back at the last minute onto a rerun or something at some point this week, please forgive us and please note that that is why we are having to do so. Uh, Anyway, in the meantime, we are back. Uh, Welcome back to us. Uh, (laughs) And our huge thanks to Nicole Sandler for jumping in once again to save our bacon at the last moment last week. Uh, with a great week of shows uh, and interviews, frankly, hoping you didn't miss us at all, as we were uh, planning a day or two off for Memorial Day, uh, but but not that many days. <laughs>
2: and not when that happened, no. either. So, so
1: uh, we are wildly grateful, as ever, to Nicole uh, for filling in for us for the bulk of last week, as it would have simply been impossible for, for uh, w- with the non-stop jackhammering right outside our studio. No, by the way, there is no such thing as a soundproof studio as some, I think, believe, especially in the face of multiple jackhammers at once. Just so, a few feet away. <laughs> yes. Unlike the jackhammers of the last four years, which were figurative when we woke up every morning at 6 a.m., it felt like there was jackhammers outside the window. No, that was just Donald Trump tweeting. These were actual ones. Anyway, meanwhile, meanwhile what did we miss? While well, we were gone, actually, this is uh, not while we were gone. This is today. Voters in New Mexico are heading to the polls Today, for another round of special congressional elections, this time a race to fill the seat of former Congresswoman Deb Holland of New Mexico, Democrat, uh, who's now serving as Biden's interior secretary. The election will either increase or decrease the Democratic's, uh, Democratic majority, the narrow majority in the U.S. House. Currently, I believe it's an eight seat majority. Uh, the contest on Tuesday is between Democratic State Rep. Melanie Stansbury and Republican State Rep. Mark Moores. National Democrats are feeling confident about their advantage in early voting. Uh-oh. Anyway, in this contest, uh, it's in Democratic-leaning Albuquerque. Uh, they're also confident about the makeup of this district because Biden won it by 23 points in 2020. Deb Holland won it by 16 points last year. But looking at the numbers, Democrats would seem to have a big advantage in the early voting with about 54,000 registered Democrats having cast ballots to uh, about 28,000 Republicans who have voted so far. There's about 10,000 who uh, do not state a political party. They have also voted. So all of this could come down to uh, Election Day turnout specifically by Republicans on Election Day. And also, as uh, NBC notes, NBC's First Read notes, that uh, keep an eye on the margins because it was closer than expected margins back in 2017 and 2018. Even when Democrats lost some of these special elections, they did so with smaller margins than usual, which was a signal, uh, uh, political scientists say, for what was to come, how the political winds were blowing before the 2018 midterms, when Democrats took back the House from Republicans, and Republicans will be looking for similar signals out of Albuquerque this week. We will, of course, share any noteworthy results as available on our next broadcast. But speaking of voting and what now passes for what is left of democracy in these United States, if Democrats in Texas... If they can protect our democracy, if they can protect our elections by walking out of the Texas state legislature and apparently risking loss of their paychecks for doing so, what are Democrats in Washington, D.C. prepared to do to protect our democracy, which is now under attack all across the country? I have a feeling that question is is going to uh, undergird a lot of our coverage. In the uh, coming days ahead, as it does on many days anyway, uh, and as it certainly does today, the sweeping Republican Party overhaul of Texas elections and voter access to the polls was poised from the beginning of the state legislative session to pass into law. It had the backing of Republican leaders in both chambers of the state legislature. It had support from the state's Republican governor. Democrats who opposed the bill, describing it for what it was and is, a naked attempt at voter suppression, they were just outnumbered in the gerrymandered state legislature in Desi's home state of Texas.
2: Yes, sadly.
1: All of this... Your fault. <laughs> Just getting that off on the it's record. What happens right when at I leave bat. Texas? Yeah, there you apparently. go. Please go back to. T- no, don't. <laughs> no, no. Stay here. We need you. Anyway, on Sunday night, it was very dramatic with an hour left for the legislature, the state legislature, to give final approval to the bill as this year's session was coming to a close. And they only meet, what is it, like every other year in Texas, right, for the state legislature? And they
2: don't get paid like a normal salary like normal people would. They get paid like a part-time thing. So they treat it as a part-time job and they act that way.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Well, with, you know, an hour left before the uh, end of all of this and the deadline to pass this bill, Democrats staged a walkout preventing a vote on the legislation before the fatal deadline for passage of the bill. According to a text message that was obtained by the Texas Tribune, state rep Chris Turner, who's the chair of the House Democratic Caucus, he texted instructions to the other Democrats uh, still in the House, quote, leave the chamber discreetly. Do not go to the gallery. Leave the building. Senate Bill 7 or SB 7, a Republican priority bill, is this expansive piece of legislation that would alter nearly the entire voting process in the Lone Star State. According to Texas Tribune, it would create new limitations to early voting hours, ratchet up voting by mail restrictions, which in Texas are already among the most restrictive in the nation. It would curb local voting options like drive through voting, which was implemented successfully in Houston for the first time during the COVID pandemic last year. Democrats had argued that the bill would make it harder for people of color to vote in Texas. That's a feature, not a bug. It was uh, not a difficult argument to make, frankly, given that an early iteration of the very same Republican bill had cited the need for, quote, purity, Of the ballot box, which is a phrase that was used in laws during the Jim Crow era in Texas that literally prevented black Americans from casting a vote in primary elections. In primary elections, it was illegal for black people to vote because they were hoping to maintain the purity of the ballot box. A phrase that once again, suddenly in 2021, appeared in the Texas Republicans voter suppression bill. Republicans, uh, on the other hand, they continue to co-opt the efforts of actual champions for democracy by calling this this bill to restrict voting an election integrity measure. Uh, They said it was necessary to safeguard Texas elections from fraudulent votes, even even though there is zero, literally zero evidence of widespread fraud in the state. As we have reported for years, every time the Republicans try to institute more and more restrictions, and usually successfully because they control both houses of the chamber, uh, but both chambers of the of the state legislature, uh, it, it, you know, nonetheless, they always claim that it's to stop fraud. And then when asked to demonstrate any evidence of actual fraud, they can't even in court when these bills are challenged. Debate on SB 7 had extended over several hours late on Sunday night as the Texas House neared the midnight cutoff to give final approval to the legislation before it would head to uh, Governor Greg Abbott's desk to be signed into law. But in between their speeches opposing the bill, Democrats started sort of trickling off the floor throughout the night. They'd finish their speech and then they'd walk out of the room. And then around 1030 p.m. after the text message from Rep. Turner, the House Democratic caucus chair, the remaining Democrats were seen casually walking out of the chamber. (laughs) That absence left the Texas House without a quorum, which requires two thirds of the 150 House members to be present in order to take a vote. And so it was done. They didn't have enough uh, members uh, present to vote on this bill. Standing outside a nearby Baptist church about two miles from the Capitol, State Rep. Nicole Collier from Fort Worth, uh, a Democrat and chair of the Texas Legislative Black Caucus, said, quote, we have used all the tools in our toolbox to fight this bill, and tonight we pulled out the last one. With about an hour left before the midnight deadline, GOP House Speaker Dade Phelan acknowledged the lost quorum and he adjourned. SP 7 was just one step from the governor's desk. It was uh, after it was negotiated behind closed doors by Republicans, uh, Republicans in the Senate and Republicans in the House secretly over the past week. Uh, following passage of two different bills in both the state House and the state Senate. They were significantly different. And so what they did was they pulled the worst stuff from each of the bills in each of the chambers to put it into this one big, massive, terrible voter suppression bill. Of
2: course, like a Frankenstein bill of really, really bad things.
1: As bad as it had already promised to be, uh, based on the differing versions adopted by each chamber, it came back with a series of additional... Voting rule changes that were not the part of the previous debates over either bill, including new ID requirements for voting by mail restrictions on Sunday, early voting hours in order to undermine uh, souls to the polls on Sunday, which many black churches use to go from straight church out to the polls. Now they can't start voting until 1 p.m. on Sundays. One uh, uh, a lawmaker noted that they also passed a bill this session that allows them to start selling beer and liquor at 10 a.m. so you can get a beer <laughs> at 10 a.m., but you're not allowed to vote until 1 p.m. on Sundays. Of course. They also uh, had the restrictions on the Sunday hours, and there was a higher threshold for who can qualify to vote by mail based on a disability. But while Democrats were able to defeat the legislation on Sunday, Governor Abbott quickly made clear he expected lawmakers to finish the job during a special session that he will be demanding at some point in the future, describing the anti-voting bill as, quote, must pass a must pass measure, stating, quote, legislators will be expected to have worked out the details when they arrive at the Capitol for the special session, whenever that happens. Over the last few months, SB 7 has been at the forefront of Republicans' broader efforts to further restrict voting. After the state saw the highest turnout in decades in 2020, with Republicans in full control of state government, the odds that it would make it to the governor's desk were always very high. But, of course, it was that high turnout in 2020 that has many Texans Republican Texans alarm. Well, yeah, you can't
2: have that. No,
1: not in Texas. Because even without the walkout, uh, delaying passage, this bill is likely to become law in the days ahead. At least according to conventional wisdom, we'll see what other tricks Democrats may have. There are only so many tools in that toolbox, unfortunately, but hopefully Democrats in Washington, specifically, well, at least one Democrat, that would be West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, hoping he's watching what is happening uh, very closely in Texas and elsewhere around the country to see how Republicans are muscling through these new laws that are meant to do nothing but prevent certain voters from having access to the ballot box. I hope he's watching this and he realizes that he, the the only Democratic senator, by the way, in in D.C., who has yet to sign on as a co-sponsor of the For the People Act, the sweeping federal law to reform elections and campaign finance, which would go a long way toward countering many of the suppressive measures that are being quickly adopted by state Republicans, not just in Texas, but elsewhere, as we have been reporting over the last several months. Hopefully, Manchin will realize that he not only needs to sign on to that measure, the For the People Act, and quickly, but he also needs to agree to a reform of the filibuster in order to allow passage of the For the People Act before all hopes of Democrats holding on to the House or the Senate in 2022 and the White House in 2024 before that is all but dashed. The final version of the uh, Texas bill grew well beyond what the state's House and Senate had originally passed. It became this wide ranging 67 page bill with a whole bunch of additions only revealed at the last minute to the full House and Senate on Saturday. On that day before the House uh, uh, attempt failed on Sunday night, the state Senate was able to pass the measure one of the most restrictive in the nation in a state which was already one of the most difficult ones in which to vote. A day before the Texas bill emerged, a new report from NYU's Brennan Center for Justice pointed to the vast sweep of Republicans' nationwide efforts to restrict voting across the country following their decisive loss of the White House back in 2020. As of mid-May, the nonpartisan Brennan Center found that state lawmakers had passed 22 new laws in 14 different states to make the process of voting more difficult. In last year's election, while Republicans, they won very easily, as usual in Texas, uh, Trump carried the state by more than 630,000 votes and his party maintained control of both chambers of the legislature. Nonetheless, turnout soared In the Lone Star State's cities and densely populated suburbs, which are growing increasingly Democratic at this point, in Harris County, one of the biggest counties in the country and home to Democratic-leaning Houston, turnout jumped by nearly 10 percent. Yes, yes, Republicans won the state, but uh uh-oh, look what's happening in Harris County, a 10 percent increase. Don't want that to spread across the state. That, by the way, even as voting rights groups have long pointed to Texas, it's one of the hardest states in the country for voters to cast a ballot. There was another recent study uh, showing that, you know, not only that they have the uh, the, that it's they have the lowest voter turnout, just about the lowest voter turnout in the nation, but that it is the most difficult state to vote in at all. According to the study by Northern Illinois University, which ranked Texas last in an index of all 50 states measuring the difficulty of voting there. The report cites a host of factors, including Texas's in-person voter registration deadline that is 30 days before the election. Contrast that, by the way, with many states which now offer the ability to register on Election Day itself at the polling place or the contrast that with the uh, For the People Act that Democrats are trying to, to pass. If Joe Manchin plays along, that would mandate automatic voter registration. In all 50 states, Texas has already mandated a drastic reduction of polling stations in some parts, some parts of the state in recent years. According to the study out of Illinois, they have strict photo ID voting restrictions at the polls. They have a limited and onerous absentee voting process where you must be either over 65 years of age to vote by absentee or have a disability that you can prove prevents you from going to the polls. To be allowed to vote by mail in Texas, yes, even during the pandemic, the state fought to overturn a federal judge who had allowed fear of being infected by the virus as an excuse to vote absentee last year in Texas. That was fought by the state, by the secretary of state, by the attorney general, and they successfully got that overturned. So, yeah. A whole bunch of Texans last year had to decide between risking their lives and losing their vote. And uh, thankfully, I guess, uh, a lot of people did take that risk, at least 10 uh, percent more than usual in, uh, in Harris County. There's also a, a lack of early voting options across the state because everything else is not already difficult enough in the state. They want to make things worse. So with that context, then, And how difficult it already was to vote in Texas, the GOP-controlled state Senate passed in the wee hours of Sunday morning. They passed the uh, newly and secretly expanded SB 7 with a raft of new voting restrictions for what would be among the most far reaching laws in Republicans nationwide drive to overhaul elections by limiting voting. It would tighten what are already some of the strictest voting laws, but it specifically targets the new balloting, the innovative balloting methods that they came up with in uh, in, in Harris County in Houston for the first time last year. It would ban drive through voting which they used for the first time last year. It would ban 24-hour voting centers, which were also used. Both of those were used by nearly 140,000 voters in Harris County alone during the 2020 election. Both of those would now be illegal under this new Texas law. It would prohibit election officials from sending absentee ballots to all voters. It would prohibit them sending absentee ballot applications to all voters. Hey, you're old enough to vote by absentee ballot. Would you like here's an application? Just fill this out and send it in. That would not only be unlawful for them to do, it would be at pain of a jail felony if they do so. Wow. That's, by the way, regardless of whether they had requested them or not. Can you please send me one of those? If they do, they may go to jail for it. It would ban using tents and garages and mobile units or any temporary structure whatsoever as a polling location. And it would limit who could vote, further limit who could vote by absentee. It would add new ID requirements for voting by mail. And this is something that we are now seeing in a whole lot of states around the country where uh, they're implementing these new suppression bills that are adopted by Republicans. For years, you'll recall, the fight against. Very strict photo ID restrictions. That was only in place, those were only in place at at, at the polling place, remember? Some 20 to 30 million Americans do not have the very specific type of photo ID that is being required by these Republican restrictions.
2: How many don't have the right kind of ID?
1: Somewhere between 20 and 30 million. Jeez. But other than that, go get one, losers. If you want to vote, apparently... Never mind if you're bedridden, never mind if you're elderly, never mind if, you know, you were born without a birth certificate, as as many elderly people were in this country. Uh, Never mind if you have to pay money to get a copy of your birth certificate. It's a poll tax, but apparently we're fine with poll taxes now in this country, too. At least Republicans are. But anyway, uh, yeah. So those laws for years had focused only on the polling place because, well... prior to that, prior to this past year, really, it was Republicans who most often used absentee voting by far. And Republicans did not want to hurt their own voter base by requiring them to somehow come up with these photo ID copies or uploading or something when it came to uh, mail in voting. But, well, that has changed in recent years, specifically, most notably last year during the pandemic. And absentee voting uh, in most places around the country where it had been used more by Republicans than Democrats, suddenly Democrats used it a whole bunch more than Republicans for for voting during the pandemic. And so now, suddenly, after all of these years, Republicans have this sudden interest for some reason requiring photo ID for uh, for voting by mail. Gosh, I wonder why. I don't know why. So you see how this works. They have not cared for years about photo ID for mail voting when it was Republicans voting that way. Now they do. Perhaps most disturbing in this Texas provision, and, and, you know, it was killed over the weekend, but not for good, which is why I'm trying to give you the heads up of what actually ended up in this bill. I realize I'm going into a lot of detail of what is in this bill, but you need to know how bad this is and how much of this is targeted Towards stopping voters from voting voters in Texas, a a red state already preventing them from being able to cast a vote, not the Republicans so much, but certainly the Democrats.
2: And it's not just Texas. This is sort of a model legislation that could be coming to a state near you if you are not in Texas.
1: Correct. So most disturbingly, and this is something that we've seen in, in some of these other bills that have been passed so far in Florida, in Georgia and elsewhere, they're going after election officials. Threatening them with, uh, as I said, a a jail felony if they should send out, uh, you know, absentee ballot applications. But even further, they are setting up provisions to make it possible to overturn election results that they do not like. They did this in Georgia. By allowing uh, a partisan state board of elections to replace bipartisan county boards of election pretty much for any reason at any time with a single partisan appointee who can come in and essentially become the, uh, the board of elections and decide whether or not to certify any election that they want. Now, current Texas election law says that to reverse the results of an election... Because in a a case where somebody is uh, alleging fraud, well, that would require proving that illicit votes had actually resulted in a wrongful victory for a candidate. You had to prove that there were enough fraudulent votes for the other candidate that needed to be thrown out that would eventually give the uh, previous loser the win for the election. That used to be the law in Texas. Currently, it is still the law, at least until they pass SB 7. But the new law, if it passes, the number of fraudulent votes required to reverse uh, the results of an election only needs to be equal to the winning vote margin, the winning vote differential. It would not matter for whom the fraudulent votes have been cast. So. Let me explain that. If if an election for the U.S. House, for example, had a 500-vote margin for the winner, pretty close race. Well, all the challengers would have to do is prove that 501 votes were sent in fraudulently, no matter who the votes were actually cast for.
2: So if the winner won by 500 votes, all, mm-hmm. of the, all the allegers would have to do would be to say, yeah. hey, there's 500 votes here, even if they're for the loser.
1: Yeah. Which means that if you suspect you're going to lose this election, just start sending in fraudulent ballots. Oh, my. You know, and then you can say, hey, look, we had 501 fraudulent ballots that were sent in by someone. You need to overturn the election and award it to the loser to reverse the victory of the candidate that actually did win. Pretty neat trick, right? The legislature would also have uh, changed the legal standard for overturning an election from reasonable doubt about the election to preponderance of the evidence, which is a much lower evidentiary bar. So this was all hashed out. This is what they were doing in secret. The Republicans were doing in secret before uh, it was you know, rushed to the state Senate floor late on Saturday. They passed it. They only passed it after they changed the rules because the Republican uh, lawmakers there, along with Lieutenant Governor T- uh, Dan Patrick, he's the president of the Senate. They suspended the rules that would require the bill to be public for 24 hours before a final vote. They just did away with that so that they could pass it right away within hours on Saturday before they had to then send it to the House on Sunday. And that came, by the way, just hours after a 112-page report comparing the bill with the previous version was released. So 112 pages they had to read in addition to the 67 pages, and you can do that in the next hour or two before we start voting at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. Getting any sense of the bad faith effort at work here to jam this thing through in the dark of the night? This is what they did. Of course, Democrats objected. They call it Jim Crow 2.0. Senator uh, Miles, a Democrat, uh, on the, uh, said on the Senate floor uh, they do, they, that he talks to people in black and Latino districts. They call it Jim Crow 2.0. They asked me, is this 2021 or is this 1961? Why are we allowing people to roll back the hands of time, he asked. And nonetheless, after the hours of debate, the Senate passed the bill just after 6 a.m. on Sunday morning in time to send it to the House. In a statement on Saturday, President Biden called this law an assault on democracy. He said the same thing about the Georgia and the Florida bills, which have already passed. He says they disproportionately target black and brown Americans. He called on lawmakers to address the issue by passing democratic voting bills in the, uh, in the U S house and Senate, which are pending there. Biden said it is wrong. It is un-American to pass these bills in the, in the, uh, these Republican controlled States, Quote, In the 21st century, we should be making it easier, not harder, for every eligible voter to vote. In their election push, meanwhile, Republicans have powered past objections of Democrats against objections and lawsuits so far of voting rights groups and of major corporations, companies like American Airlines and Dell and Microsoft. They spoke out against the Texas legislation right after the bill was introduced. But that appears to have done nothing. It has been ineffective, if only because those companies, as we have discussed previously on this show, have barely spoken out. Oh, they put out a statement, pretended that they they were upset by this, but they have not demanded actual action in order to protect democracy. They have not called and demanded passage of the For the People Act in Congress or the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act in Congress on the federal level. Where are these companies calling for those bills? If they were serious about protecting our democracy, they would be calling for those bills. And by the way, many of those companies, as we've also discussed, publicly, they said they weren't going to give any more funding, campaign funding, to Republicans who supported the January 6th insurrection by voting against the uh, Electoral College results last year. But then those companies turned around, many of them, and quietly started or just continued giving money to many of those same insurrectionists anyway. So these corporate threats, you know, which many people were delighted about, turned out to be, as we have argued, largely empty threats. And all of this in Texas comes despite the state, after last year's election, declaring that it had been one of the state's most secure in its history. In March this year. The director of elections in the Texas uh, secretary of state's office testified that the 2020 election in the state had been, quote, smooth and secure. He said Texans can be justifiably proud of the hard work and creativity shown by local county election officials. Nonetheless, state Republicans and its Republican governor really want these new restrictions on voting to pass for some reason. Governor Abbott vowed that there would be a special session specifically to pass these reforms, but he did not mention a date for it. He could have called one to begin immediately as soon as this week, but he hasn't, which has left uh, some voting rights advocates believing that, well, you know, maybe he has something to worry about. Abbott, who is, a, as Washington Post notes here, uh, an outspoken supporter and a potential 2024 presidential candidate, The fact that he did not call an immediate special session suggests uncertainty about whether such a move would end well for him, given the national attention now that Sunday's drama has attracted. But it did not stop uh, the governor from blustering with threats. As Democrats vowed to continue the fight, Abbott threatened to cut off funding for the entire state legislature if they do so. He said he would veto the part of the state budget that funds the legislature itself as retaliation for Texas Democrats walking out late Sunday night. Uh, He's quote, this is a tweet. I will veto Article 10 of the budget passed by the legislature. Article 10 funds the legislative branch. No pay for those who abandon their responsibilities. Stay tuned, he threatened. Nonetheless, Texas Democrats are not backing down. Whether it's in a regular session or a special session, said uh, uh, State Rep Rafael Anchea of uh, a, a Democrat. Uh, he said that uh, we will be here and fight, regular session or special session. We are going nowhere, he said. Moreover, as the Washington Post reports, Texas Democrats who defeated the effort to pass the suite of new voting restrictions. Uh, have, they say they have a message for President Biden and Democrats in Congress. Quote, if we can protect voting rights, you can too. State Rep Trey Martinez Fisher. Democrat from San Antonio said at this early morning news conference held at the uh, black church in Austin after they had left the state capitol, quote, we knew today with the eyes of the nation watching action in Austin, we need to send a message. And that message is very, very clear. Mr. President, we need a national response to federal voting rights. Other uh, Democrats at the uh, at, at this early morning press conference said the same thing. They were literally begging Congress to do something, to take action. They can only hold things off so long in Texas with these, you know, various tricks in their toolbox. But, you know, uh, blaming Democrats in Washington, as many people do, that's not entirely fair. It's not really Democrats who are the problem here. It's Republicans, A, it's Republicans who are blocking any and all election reform at the federal level. That, after years, by the way, of blocking Democratic proposals at the federal level to make elections more secure and to mandate the very type of post-election audits, that Republicans, as you may have noticed, are now demanding all over the country. But still, Democrats do have a majority, if an incredibly narrow one, in both chambers. And while the House has managed to pass the For the People Act, there is just one senator, maybe two, who are holding up passage in the Senate. The two Democratic senators who have publicly expressed reluctance to eliminate the filibuster in the Senate. That requires 60 votes to allow any legislation to move forward that it is not budget-related in any event. And in the current 50-50 Senate, that means major legislation cannot advance unless there are 10 Republicans willing to come on in support. Good luck with that. So it will take a simple majority of every Senate Democrat, plus tiebreaker of uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, in order to eliminate the filibuster. Then they can pass these laws with a simple majority. Nonetheless, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are still leading the opposition to taking that step. And in Manchin's case, he is the only one who has not signed on as a co-sponsor of the For, of For the People Act. So even if he did the right thing and he came on board on the For the People Act... He would still have to allow for a vote of 50 plus one to reform the filibuster to push this bill through on a simple majority vote. But if he doesn't, you can expect not only the Texas bill to eventually pass and undermine democracy, but you will see similar bills, many of which have already passed and many of which are still moving through a whole bunch more states right now, including swing states like Arizona and Michigan. Congressman Mark Vesey, Democrat of Texas, uh, he's a co-founder of the Congressional Voting Rights Caucus. He said during an interview on Monday that if we don't pass these bills, shame on us. And he said, be prepared to see even more of these bills continue to make their way through the states. For his part, Joe Biden has repeatedly pushed for passage of the For the People Act. He has also advocated for the restoration of provisions of the 1965 Voting Rights Act which the Supreme Court gutted eight years ago. They hope to fix that with the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. And while the president did not directly address the Texas drama during a Memorial Day address on Monday at Arlington National Cemetery, he did describe the right to vote as a foundational aspect of America's system of government that soldiers, troops, have given their lives defending.
0: The lives of billions from antiquity to our own hour, have been shaped by the battle between aspirations of the many and the greed of the few, between people's right to self-determination and the self-seeking of the dictator, between dreams of democracy and appetites for autocracy, which we're seeing around the world. And the mission falls to each of us, each and every day, democracy itself, is in peril, here at home and around the world. What we do now, what we do now, how we honor the memory of the fallen will determine whether or not democracy will long endure. It's the biggest question. Whether a system that prizes the individual, that bends towards liberty, that gives everybody a chance of prosperity, whether that system can and will prevail against powerful forces that wish it harm. The struggle for democracy is taking place around the world, democracy and autocracy. The struggle for posterity, prosperity and progress. And yes, the struggle for the soul of America itself. folks. You all know it. Democracy thrives when the infrastructure of democracy is strong. When people have the right to vote freely and fairly and conveniently. When a free and independent press pursues the truth founded on facts, not propaganda. When the rule of law applies equally and fairly to every citizen, regardless of where they come from, what they look like.
1: Yes, that was Joe Biden uh, speaking at Arlington Cemetery about those who had given their lives to protect democracy in this country, democracy around the world, democracy that Republicans seem to be willing, fighting like hell to take down right now. And yes, the stakes are that high. This is now a fight, as Biden discussed, between autocracy and democracy. And if these bills are allowed to pass in the states without any uh, federal response, it will be a huge leg up in favor of autocracy in this country. And if you have any doubts, well, stick around through the break here. Uh, We'll have a few quick thoughts about what else is happening, what happened over the weekend in Texas, over the Memorial Day weekend. And no, it was not pretty, but it should Be real damn scary to those who are still failing to take this fight seriously, which is why I have gone on and on about it after watching what has happened all weekend long. That's next on the Bradcast and Desi Doyen with the Green News Report a little bit later, who will make everything better. Actually, some good news. No pressure. That's all ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
3: Uncivil war, uncivil war. How long must we fight this uncivil war?
1: Good question. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from brandblog.com. Sydney Powell, an attorney of for uh, uh, former attorney, current attorney, I don't know, for Donald Trump, uh, she filed all sorts of unsuccessful lawsuits trying to overturn the 2020 election and has received at least one, $1. $1.3 billion lawsuit against her by a voting machine company. Well-deserved. Yes, I agree. She told the audience at a QAnon conference in Dallas on Saturday that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, should now, even now, be removed from office, and that Trump should be reinstated due to massive fraud in the 2020 election that apparently nobody, even Trump's own Attorney General and his Department of Justice, has actually been able to find. But you know, uh, details, details. We're in uncharted territory. Yeah, but, we're yeah,
3: yeah. We're definitely in uncharted yeah. territory. There are cases where elections have been overturned but there's never been one at the presidential level, which everybody will jump to point out. That doesn't mean that it can't be done, though. There's always a first case, and as far as I know, this is the first case of abject fraud and obtaining a coup of the United States of America. So it's going to have to be dealt with. It should be that he can simply be reinstated, that a new inauguration date is set. and Biden is told to move out of the White House and and, and 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 President Trump should be moved back in. I'm sure there's not going to be credit for time lost unfortunately because the constitution itself sets the date for inauguration but he should definitely get the remainder of his term and and make the best of it. That's for sure.
1: So uh, he should be, uh, we need to reinstate Donald Trump. That was this past weekend due to the abject fraud and a coup for which there is zero evidence of either.
2: Yeah, if you're the one making the allegations, you're supposed to be the one who coughs up the evidence. Yeah,
1: and every time she did, uh, turned out there was nothing there. Anyway, this three-day QAnon conference, you heard it had a big crowd there, was called For God and Country, Patriot Roundup. It featured uh, other uh, prominent Trump world figures like Louie Gohmert, uh, Republican congressman from Texas, Alan West, the chair of the Texas Republican Party, and, yes, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor who was charged and pleaded guilty to a bunch of federal felonies like lying to federal officials, failing to register as a foreign agent, even while serving as the president's national security advisor. Uh, before he was eventually pardoned for all of that by the former criminal-in-chief on his way out the door. Well, Flynn's comments at the Patriot Roundup, understandably, seem to have received the most attention over the weekend, which he is now madly trying to backpedal from. He tried to say he was not throwing his support behind a military coup in the U.S. like the one that occurred in Myanmar in February. When he was asked why we shouldn't have such a coup in this country by one of the questioners. Now, to be clear, the coup in Myanmar overthrew a democratically elected leader. It has resulted in the deaths of hundreds of pro-democracy demonstrators. Um, You know, protesters were shot. Students were tortured. uh, The economy was destroyed. This in a nation that was just fresh off a genocide of Rohingya Muslims. Eight hundred people have been killed in the junta's crackdown since the coup. And now, despite the very clear question to Michael Flynn and his very clear response, he's desperately trying to walk it all back. He said uh, on Monday on Telegram, he posted, he said, let me be very clear. There is no reason whatsoever for any coup in America. And I do not and have not at any time called for any action of that sort. Any reporting. Of any other belief by me is a boldface fabrication based on twisted reporting at a lively panel at a conference of patriotic Americans who love this country as I do. He said, I am no stranger to media manipulating my words and therefore let me repeat my response to a question asked at the conference. He says, there is no reason it, a coup, should happen here in America. Speaking of twisting, what he actually said—that is not how he responded uh, to the question. Listen for yourself.
3: Simple Marine, I want to know why what happened in Minamar can't happen here.
0: <laughs> you know. No reason. I mean, it, it should happen here. No reason. But that's
1: right. <laughs> no reason. It should. I mean, it should happen here. No reason. That's right. Now he's saying what he's what he really said was there is no reason it should happen here in America.
2: Yeah, uh, it doesn't fly.
1: Good luck with that, uh, Lieutenant. General, who I hope they uh, call him back and court-martial him for under the Sedition Act for calling for a coup in this country. It hasn't been the first time, and knowing Michael Flynn, it won't be the last, but it won't keep them from lying about it every step of the way. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen, who never lies <laughs> with her latest Green News report with a very, very bad day for big oil. That's next on the broadcast. Stay tuned. Hey, Desi Doyen, we were, uh, we were not even going to do a Green News Report today coming out of the holiday, but after what happened last week, you just couldn't help yourself, <laughs> it's <true>. could you? <laughs> that was a big day that we had to miss because of the construction, but uh, well, here we go, our latest Green News Report. The activist here
2: said that ExxonMobil still has no credible plan to protect value in an energy transition. Bad day for big oil could be a turning point for climate action, as landmark decisions in the courtroom and the Boardroom hit Exxon, Chevron and Shell all on one day. <laughs> Plus, new study shows how fossil fuel industry PR has shifted from denying climate change to blaming consumers.
1: Got to blame someone. Other than themselves. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We're looking forward
0: to uh, welcoming the new directors to the board. and look forward to working with them constructively, collectively.
1: And begrudgingly. Am I right, ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, bad day for big oil indeed, and of course it happens on a day that... We had to stand down because of construction outside of our studio, so I guess we got a lot to catch up on today.
2: <laughs> yes, we do. But first, a new study shows how the fossil fuel industry's climate science denial propaganda has evolved from outright denial of human-caused global warming to now blaming consumers to deflect fossil fuels' responsibility. Recent investigations have shown that oil industry executives knew since at least the 1970s that burning their product causes catastrophic climate change, and then they chose to spend hundreds of millions of dollars funding climate science denial propaganda, lying to the public and the investors about it. And yet
1: somehow it's my fault that I believed
2: them? (laughs) Yes. This new study shows how the fossil fuel industry shifted their PR strategy and is now framing it to deflect attention onto consumer demand for fossil fuels, which until recently was the only energy source available to consumers, thanks in part to the fossil fuel industry's lobbying to quash renewable energy as competition.
1: Funny how that
2: works. Harvard researchers show how Exxon's PR shifted focus onto individuals to solve climate change, with campaigns to cut... Back on your individual carbon footprint <laughs> and other tactics to make it seem inevitable that oil and gas must be used in coming decades in order to downplay and deflect the fossil fuel industry's responsibility for climate change. But it isn't working so well anymore. In a watershed moment for the oil industry, Wednesday, May 26th, was a very bad day for big oil.
1: A day that may live in infamy for them?
2: Yes, with losses in both the courtroom and the boardroom all on the same day. In Exxon's annual meeting, a tiny activist shareholder group known as Engine One, backed by major pension and hedge funds, succeeded for the first time ever in adding two new activist pro-climate investors to Exxon's board of directors. Nice. A majority of Exxon shareholders agreed that the company should diversify and, like European oil companies, begin investing heavily in renewables to protect future profits.
1: That, after Exxon spent a lot of time and a lot of money campaigning against those new activist board members.
2: On CNBC, Exxon CEO Darren Woods downplayed the landmark
0: vote. What we're seeing with these votes is the desire to uh, continue to put pressure in that space and to in areas where we can to accelerate that to help society move through this transition. But at the same time, recognize we're going to continue to need uh, oil and gas. We've got to continue to support the economies and people's standards of living.
2: See that? He's promoting more oil and gas.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's it's only your fault because you want to keep your standard of living.
2: Hours later, on the same day at Chevron's annual meeting, investors defied company management on a pivotal climate vote, passing a resolution put forward by activist-led investor group Follow This to pressure the oil company to reduce its emissions. The activist group said in a statement, quote, We want you to act by decreasing emissions now, not in the distant future. Mm. And in what may be the most consequential development, on the same day, in Europe, a Dutch court ruled that Royal Dutch Shell must move faster to cut its carbon emissions, ordering the company to cut emissions by 45% by 2030. That's more than double the company's current target. The Hague District Court did not say how Shell should achieve the cutbacks, but ruled Shell has a duty of care to reduce emissions. Shell says it will appeal, but France 24 reporter Fernand Van Van noted what is key here. The court decided, first of all, that the Dutch uh, court had a jurisdiction in this case. Shell had said that consumers were responsible for what they put out and that um, countries where that was omitted were responsible. However, the court said that uh, it could rule
0: on this. They do say that Shell has the right to set policy and that policy has an impact on the environment, on the emission standards, and that has an impact on us all.
2: Now, the court asserting jurisdiction could set a precedent for similar legal actions against polluting multinationals around the world. These landmark defeats could be an inflection point in breaking the fossil fuel industry's grip on society.
1: A very bad day for big oil indeed. Let's hope we see a lot more of them in the days ahead. For much (laughs) more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
2: Because you had a bad day. You had a bad day.
1: Yes. They had a very, the oil companies had a very bad day Very sad they? Sad, very sad Hey, it just got worse uh, Breaking news from CNN Joe Biden plans to suspend oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, or Anwar. That, according to a senior administration official, overturning, undoing a Trump-era drilling decision Yep so sad. More on that, no doubt, in the days ahead. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free. At Bradblog.com, a service made possible only by those of you listeners who stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to help the whole world hear the program, whether they like it or not. <laughs> we have got to get out. Drop me email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me as the BradBlog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
2: Had a bad day